Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from my own residence here in Chicago and joining us from a very, well, not safe for other reasons, but socially distancing safe, his own abode, the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Yeah, all right. Let's go. Let's do it. That started out very casual and got worryingly intense at the end. Can't tell if Glenn's going to do the podcast or deadlift or maybe both, but we'll find out. <laughs> also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Greetings! Joining us all the way from Rock Creek, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Unity Church, Lee Younger. Glenn is back, and oh, all yes. is right with the podcast. Uh, Glenn yeah, has you, returned. You know, I did tune in to some of these, uh, uh, you know, what we ought to call non-canon podcast episodes oh <laughs> elseworlds and that you know there were like comments and things you know aspersions like, like if you're not in the podcast do you consider the wisdom to be like fan fiction yeah that's basically that's how i think about it yeah here's what i'm saying i feel like glenn listened to both those shows doesn't remember a single thing we said and is trying to get us to admit to something here that is <clears throat> yeah yeah. Yeah. I think you, yes. You yeah. We had a lot that. of non specific allegations there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> one, one of the things I've learned from working for Glenn for almost a decade now is occasially he will just turn to someone who works for me and go, admit it. And you go, what? He goes, I was checking. <laughs> P- people think you're kidding right now, but that's that's pretty close to the truth. It's very efficient. You just got to do the occasional check in. Every now and then, you know what you did. I certainly do. Speaking of things that I wish I was making up, gentlemen, mm. I'm forced to declare an emergency. An emergency? Wow. What's the nature of this emergency? Well, I'm glad you asked, Lee, because there's several genres of emergency I like to think on the show. We have, you know, a crazy Christian movie. We have a thing that annoyed us in real life that we just want to rant about. Uh, we have a get-rich-quick scheme, one of our personal favorites. This, unfortunately, falls under the well-trod category of the Christians are at it again. Okay. Oh, boy. (laughs) The Christians are at it again. In this case, by the Christians, I mean the Gospel Coalition. You may have heard of it. It's very different than the Gospel Coalition, which Ah. is people just go around stapling Bibles. (laughs) Or when when the good news coalesces. Oh, the Gospel Coalition. Ah. But these are all websites I think we should be buying immediately and redirecting <laughs> to our own things. But uh, from a man of whom about 15 years ago, when I didn't know anything about Christianity, I once bought a book he was the author of, so that makes me feel great. Mm. We have the headline, It's Time for a New Culture War Strategy. Oh, oh no. I'm pulling the ripcord right there. <laughs> It's the 80s all over again. Now we go through a couple of paragraphs of uh, lamenting. Was he wearing shoulder pads when he wrote the article? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of wham going on. This dude has not changed sweaters since 1986, so that's for sure. Uh, Can we open up with a couple paragraphs? I will spare you of uh, lamenting a, a Supreme Court decision that upheld people's rights to not be discriminated against in the workplace, which is... Bad for some reason, according to this dude. But then we get into it. I read from the gospelcoalition.org. Here's a culture war strategy conservative Christians should get behind. Have more children and disciple them like crazy. Oh, wow. 
Uh-huh. Now, uh, you say to yourself, that's bad. Um, yeah. In the context of the culture war. But you might say, but, you know, if people want to have kids, that's, that's good. And if you're Christian, you sure. have kids, discipling them, that's what you would want to do. And yeah. then that warm and fuzzy feeling that this might not be the worst thing ever lasts for one sentence. Because we immediately follow that up with strongly consider having more children than you think you can handle. Oh, <laughs> what? Nope. Wow. I I mean, uh, no, dude. Hey, <laughs> well, l- let me let me. You know, a lot of times we're pretty cheeky in the emergency. Uh, sometimes there's impressions of Sith lords that happen in the emergency. <laughs> sure, what? I'm all for that. Do this guy's doing mean? an impression of the Sith Lord. <laughs> <on his own. laughs> but uh, and that, that's all well and good. But I want to take a. I, I just want to respond to this in seriously as as a parent. In, in this moment and say that as my, as my children enter into their teenage years and, and one, like, going to leave our house soon, um, I can tell you that one of the greatest things that ever happened to us is someone else that's not me and Christy entering into the life of my kid and discipling them. It's an excellent, excellent point. One right. of the coolest things ever. It's hard to describe the emotional, uh, just how... Uh, the warm fuzzies I have for the 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 women of God who have entered into the lives of my daughters, who are not me and Christy, to walk with them through these teenage years, through this tumult. I mean, the whole even there's so many there's so many buried fallacies in this whole strategy. <laughs> First of all, culture war. Let's not. But but still, j- just the idea of like you have your kids and you and you disciple them. It's like no, no, no. Uh, it's totally great when somebody else disciples them because you feed them and tell them to you know do their chores and that kind of stuff, and you can pray with them and, and talk to them. But it's awesome when somebody who loves Jesus comes alongside your kids. So let's just come on, man. Well, look, Lee, I'm happy for this having worked out for you. Uh, and I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of churches are losing membership. So what we're going to need you to do, based on this success story you're telling us, is to have as many children can... Do you think if you concentrated, you can have, like, sextuplets? <laughs> I mean, if you really focused... Oh, my God. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what that would entail, but just focusly... <laughs> We need the people in church. There's no other way to get them into church. We must breed them in there. Gentlemen, (laughs) I mean, when they're small, you could just drag them in and they can't get out at all. (laughs) Boom. This is foolproof. You sorted it. Yeah. Gentlemen, if I may, I think I can present a a way forward. As always, it's going to rely pretty heavily on technology. Here's the problem as I see it. Hmm. Children have the gall to think of themselves as independent human beings. Oh, what? You know, have their own thoughts, their own decision-making, perhaps go their own way on things. Can you believe the ingratitude? No, that, that won't do it all. Here's what we need. We need someone who will obey my every word with unwavering devotion. And I'm, of course, talking about cyborgs. 
I'm talking about oh. androids. I'm talking about robotic wow. church attendees. After all, that's what the Gospel Coalition wants, so let's just go straight to it, <laughs> gentlemen. That's what we're looking for. Catechism Reciter Bot 3000 never gets a word wrong. It that's could actually true. give 37 mega catechisms per second <laughs> with a 99.9% accuracy rate. Your child wow. can never do that. I don't care how good Timmy is. He's nothing before ethics bot. So here's what we got to do. We got to let go of the frailty of human flesh. Oh, the gospel coalition. It's so naive of you, so adorable to think you could deal with humans. No, we need stone cold machines, gentlemen. That's what the future belongs to. And it's time to unleash our cyborg army and save the world. <laughs> right. But then but the problem what, is when you when you have a problem and with the uh, with the the uh, the John Calvin download and you're buffering and then you can't solve a theological problem because the internet's you know the the internet speed is low. Well, the beautiful thing about congregate bots is they don't have actual problems. <laughs> Their only problem is I don't understand this arcane point of theology. And then you give them a book, and they go away. Teach me, Pastor. <laughs> well, and that's amazing. I was somebody was going to bust out robot voice. I think we're all Android hoping it was going to be Jed. Never stop preaching, Pastor. <laughs> I can listen to you for an infinite number of cycles. <laughs> cycles. <laughs> Would you please use a Lord of the Rings reference again, Pastor? Oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> there it is. Congenbot is always asking for book recommendations. But then he comes back and says, this book was very good, but I wish you'd write a book, Pastor. <laughs> oh, there it is. That's there it the is. super premium upgrade. Well, that, well that's amazing. Go ahead, Jed. You should absolutely buy more congregant bots than you think you can handle. Absolutely. See, if we just right. substitute in congregant bot in place of children, we this yeah. article got it exactly right. You're talking yeah. about debt financing congregant bots, which has to be the future of the American church. That this combination is exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Well, well let me, another. Oh, sorry, Glenn. Go ahead. Go for it, Glenn. Well, I was just going to ask: um, Did we run out of unsaved people? <laughs> I don't know what those words mean, Glenn. Because, like, you could go and then, like, you could go, like, into all of the world, like, all the different nations, and then just make disciples of those, of those people. That seems really inefficient. Like, you could, you could do, I think there's some of those out there. Some, some of what? Unsaved people out in the world. No, it doesn't sound familiar. No. I mean... You know, I mean, you could you could just you could breed yourself a whole church. Like, let's say you want to have a three hundred member church. I mean, you gotta again focus, concentrate. You gotta be all about it. You know, but uh, it's the Bach plan. Another way to handle it would would be just to talk to unsafe people. Mm, But all the unsafe people I know hate me. So you, I think we're drawing to a conclusion that maybe you are the problem. I'm pretty sure the only way to have a person who doesn't hate me in every word I say is to inculcate them that way from the womb. Yeah, the, you, you, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but like if you have a grating and irritating personality, 
I think there's a pretty decent chance your children will let you know. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple there's there's well there's a, as we said before there's a lot of problems with this plan. Almost all of them are problems. Yeah, one of the problems being that at a certain point, your children enter the uh, to put it lightly the screw you phase. Oh, yeah. hello. Yeah, you know. So there's that, but then there's also the wise words of of my friend Tina Job, the wife of our pastor here, who said, you know, it's not genetic. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have exactly kids, true. they might not follow Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- these are all good points, but I think you, John, were overlooking some of the other positives that are brought up by mm. this gentleman in the article. I skip ahead a little bit uh, over some, some truly confusing statements about birth control. So we'll move on to this <laughs> actual thing that a person with an advanced degree got paid money to write. Do you want to rebel against the status quo? Do I? Do you want people to ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you? First Peter 3.15. Tote your brood of children through Target. There is almost what? nothing more countercultural than having more children. What? Now, of all the insane <laughs> things about that, I have never in my life seen a person with multiple children in Target and thought to myself... Well, they look like they have a burning hope within them that I must find out more about. I think what we all think, which is God bless that poor lady. Yes. Yeah, living hope is not what that situation is. It's not what anybody's face says when they're taking their four to eight children to Target. I think you could substitute, instead of living hope, it would be more like burning rage, maybe. (laughs) Here, take some more goldfish and shut up. (laughs) Listen, I can't possibly be called upon as a Christian leader to go out into the world and evangelize people. So here's how we're going to solve this. You have as many babies as you could possibly squeeze out of your body. Wow. That's the only solution that, that we are left with. Wow. Someone wrote that down and put it out into the world and said, yep, I nailed it. Well, Glenn, um, as ever, it's far worse than that. Um, Because the framing of this article is not the church is dying. We need more Christians. Okay. Which, as you point out, would be true. Yeah. The the, uh, thrust of why people need to win this culture war, and we have to do it through babies, I give you in this... Truly most horrific sentence that I've saved to the end. Oh, the best for last. He didn't save it for the end. It's in the middle, which is why it took me four tries to get through this about thousand word article. Okay. I'm not calling for abandoning politics, but I am asking the question. What does it profit a man if he gets textualists on the Supreme Court, but loses his own children? (laughs) here's the thing as we pointed out with the ultimate craziness of the people the gospel coalition and their ilk and for a long time by the way on the show we and we still don't uh, name and shame people we've we gone out of the way to like not mention the name of stuff but this is insane and you should not read this website like oh my god Um, that's actual blasphemy dude yeah that's the thing our lord said 
about the the inimitable and unknowable mysteries of giving up your life to find it and forsaking earthly riches and comforts for the kingdom that would come to be, and you made it about textualists on the Supreme Court? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I think, uh, can we put together like a fund for some counseling? For his well, children? Uh, th- th- well, this, this is a really good you know, point. Because I absolutely promise you that within 15 or 16 years, one of his kids is going to write a tell-all, and it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you're like, this stuff is not it. And then sometimes you're like, I think this dude's cheese might be slid partway off his cracker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think as as we get ready to round this out, with uh, Glenn's always apt and always perfectly poetic cheese and cracker analogy. Um, I mean, clinically speaking. I will point out that we were having a discussion at a, back in the, the, long, the long, long, long ago in the before time when we actually met in person uh, to do our pre-bridge meeting. We were, we were talking about a gentleman who had said some insane things. And Jed, would, to, to act out this analogy, picked up bread and then grabbed a thing and said, this is literally cheese, and just put it on top and then dumped it over. Right. And one of the great moments of in-person theater I've ever experienced. That's right. But before we depart, uh, I, I do have one parent, a practical parenting question for Lee, who's the only parent among us. At what age do you sit your kids down and say, uh, we, we had you in order to win the culture war? Like, is that the same time as Santa or is like Santa's eight, <laughs> seven and like we save drafted into the culture war until 10? Like, just just so the people know. Yeah, um, this is all a massively bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. These and are on, not conversations you have. And on that most true statements, we will declare emergency off. Well... Yeah, that one um that one went for a while, but we didn't even get into all the crazy things in that article. And again, why is that a website? And now we're sad, man. <laughs> yes. I will yeah, point that- out that in scrolling to find that article, because I went up a couple of days ago for we to record, I scrolled past the thing I didn't have that article to click on, which was on the front page of the Gospel Coalition. Should Christians support the removal of Confederate monuments? Yes. Lord. Moving on. <laughs> It's a one-word article. Yeah. Yes, in all capitals. <laughs> it just you open it, and there should be a YouTube video that pops up of someone just screaming "Yes." <laughs> but if you want to look at some websites that won't utterly, utterly melt your brain and leave you with uh, the kind of anger and confusion deep, deep in your stomach that we all have right now, you can of course head on over to the Facebook Facebook dot com slash The Bridge Chicago, especially every Woo. Tuesday night at seven thirty Chicago time when we are doing our bridge live cast. We're having a lot of fun. We certainly hope you will join us every Tuesday. And you can, of course, always head over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Sign up for Bridgebox. They're only $8 a month. Get songs, sermons, and more into your inbox the first of every month. Missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says, I'd like your opinion on something. Other than grammar, what's the difference between calling someone, quote, a person of color versus, quote, a colored person? 
It's a statement I've seen, I've been hearing a lot lately, and it really bothers me because it seems like a regression to the 50s. So, uh, not, uh, we don't normally take uh, gram- grammatically related questions on the show, but obviously, <laughs> um, with kind of all the, the stuff with the Black Lives Matter and the protests and the, the ongoing uh, more public conversation about race, and we talked about it a couple episodes ago pretty intently, this is one aspect we didn't cover, which I think is a very a good thing to cover, um, as, especially as we're kind of talking about maybe welcoming in people to our circles who haven't always been there. So, uh, Glenn, obviously there's the, the idea of the, the terms themselves, which we, we can break down pretty easily. And there's, there's a long progression of, um, phrases of colored person, Negro, um, African-American, and now yeah. a lot of people have landed on person of color or in the black community, they landed on uh, black. Um, but let's, let's take a step below that and look at the whys of it's important for us as white people, which we will re-undermine when we get these questions, we're only answering this as white guys to white people. Cause that's the only way we're, we're authorized to talk about it. What's going on behind this that actually makes it something worth considering. Well, for sure. Uh, I feel that the heart behind this question and, and I, and I sympathize with it, which is, at one point, you're told this is the polite word and this is the impolite word. And you really labor to lock in that polite word. And then at some point, that polite word becomes the rude word. And that's a weird thing. So I, I get that fully. And I, I, I totally understand why that's uncomfortable because it feels like you're being rude in a, in a certain sort of way when you're trying to be polite. So that's, that's actually a good concern to have. It's good that you, you know, want to get that right. But here's the part that we want to make sure we're absolutely clear on. You have the right to decide what sort of terms, what sort of language is used to describe you. Yes. That's your right. If you're Italian, you decide what uh what uh, uh phrases and and uh, you know colloquial terms that we use to describe Italians and you know that some of those have a negative connotation and you also have the freedom to decide I don't want to hear that term used to describe me. That's your right because you're Italian in the, in that example. Uh if you have the right to decide what sort of terms are are polite and acceptable with you, other people have that same right. Uh, they, if someone says this is the word I want you to use, that's the word you use. If if they if they change their mind and they switch it over to something else, that's what you got to. the The respectful thing is to follow right. their lead on what they want to be called. There's no two ways to look at that. That's that's just it. That's there's no other relevant thought or fact about that. But having locked that in, um, we do kind of get faced with a lot of uh, 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 nuance to this that is poorly understood, and I think is poorly understood by younger people. Because here's the funny thing about the changing of these terms: is that 
uh, they they change over time. You know, culture always evolves. Every, culture moves from one thing to the next. And it, you know, old people want to say it's always moving in a bad direction. Young people always want to say it's moving in a good direction. But generally, it progresses in a, you know, a, a more progressive direction, a more evolved direction. So we can be thankful for that. We can celebrate that. But because culture always changes, in a funny way, young people are sort of in charge of that. They sort of dictate the terms of that. They come up with the language for that, uh, which feels weird when you're an older person that now I'm following the lead of a younger person. And that's especially weird at times because to older people, they look at younger people and they say, how can you be in charge of what's polite and what's rude when you are rude all the time, mm. according to my old people rules. In other words, what I was taught was polite when I was a kid. Young people today don't do that stuff. It, I, it looks very rude to me. I know that they're not intentionally being rude, but it, it looks that way. So then they're in charge of what's rude and what's not, and I'm not. That feels very weird. I think older people struggle with that. So what does that leave us with? It leaves us with a simple idea here. There are people who are older and struggling to keep up with these cultural changes. And sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But you have the right to say, this is a term I want to be used. But you also have the responsibility to be patient with people as they onboard that new term. If they're making a sincere effort, if that's what their heart is. I'm trying to get this right. I don't know what the right words are. This was the word I was given previously. I apologize if it's not the right word. That's, you have to be patient with people as they catch up to those changes. But that's different from someone who isn't trying to keep up with those changes and is, in fact, kind of mocking those changes. That's really bad because, first of all, that means we have to change this term because you just mocked it. You made it into something bad. So I learned this term, and I'm doing good with it, but some other jerk misuses it, and now that person has made me rude for using that term. So... I think it's important for us to all stop what you're doing and acknowledge who, whatever ethnic or racial group you're referring to, they have the right to choose their own language and they have the right to change it as often as they want. Everybody else looking <clears throat> onto that situation has to recognize we, can, we, we, we need to observe, is this person making a real effort to be uh, polite and to be evolved and to use the right language, or are they refusing to do that because they don't care about being polite mm. and, and, and respectful to other people? I think if you can't draw that line, don't, don't be pointing fingers. It's a great summary and a great place to start off. Leah, let me get you to pick us up there because I think the, that point that Glenn is absolutely making correctly about respect and about uh, deference is a very quick and easy leap to how this is a loving or an unloving thing. And there we get explicitly into what the Bible has to say about things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like Jesus was so clear about, about this issue, about so many issues in one sweeping 
beautiful statement he made in the Sermon on the Mount when uh which it's like the most it's like the most recognizable thing that Jesus ever said for even for people who don't know anything about anything that Jesus said is just the idea of this of the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7 he said do unto others as they would as you would have them do unto you and this is a thing where it's like it's super duper simple if somebody gets your name wrong and you correct them you feel completely uh, that feels like a completely obvious thing. Like I'm, I'm going to go ahead and correct you on that if we're going to have a relationship. And then if somebody's obtuse and says, "No, I'm, just, I'm going to continue to call you the wrong name on purpose because this is what this is the way I roll." It's like, well, that's a massively disrespectful thing. You wouldn't want anybody to treat you that way. And yeah. and so <clears throat> and and that's the simple biblical way of looking at this. It's really interesting. I a, a few years ago, I was asked to lead music at a at a camp. Um, for the families of uh, the families of special needs kids, and basically what happens in, at this camp, it's uh, set up by Johnny Erickson Tata, who's this amazing woman who loves the Lord, written a million cool books, and just really cool thinker and stuff like that. But she's a special needs person herself, and she set up a, a week long camp at various places in the in the country where they bring in so many workers to work with the kids, so that basically the family of the special needs kids basically gets a week off. And it's a really really cool idea. And so they brought they brought our family in to to lead worship and stuff like that. But the first thing they do is everybody that's a worker they bring you in two or three days early to do basically terminology training and treatment training because what they say is the terminology changes massively every single year. There you go. And so you have to go in three days early. And learn all these things. So, like one of the things that we learned was, and and I have a niece who is differently abled, and you'll notice, like we we don't say the words disabled anymore. We say differently abled, and 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 that's a shifting thing. Um, one of the things that they that they taught us was you need to be very mindful that if a child has Down syndrome, that you don't say this is a Down syndrome child. You say this is a child with Down syndrome. So what we say is the child comes first and then whatever, you know, whatever they have or whatever they're dealing with or struggling with, that comes second. We always place the child first. These are things that you might not think about, and even a very caring, compassionate person may not have worked out or, or field tested or focus grouped all this stuff. But the experts come in and they tell you how to do it. And the only thing that would really suck is if somebody said, well, I just, I, I just can't, I, I, I can't keep up. Right. <laughs> I, I can't keep up with this this uh, this this vastly you know changing situation, and the, that is just an obtuse and a lazy way to not have humility, compassion, neighborliness, and respect, like Amen. Glenn is talking about. This is just courtesy, and it's a courtesy that comes out of the words of Jesus, who said, "You want to be treated a certain way." So treat other people that way. That is such a beautiful and simple way to frame this. Now, I realize that the question asker is coming from a place of like, but I thought this word was out. And what we, and this to me is the sticking point, is that I'm a white guy and, um, and, and the, the question asker, based on the question, is, is on the outside of the African-American community as well, or, the, or the, the people of color community. And what we need to say on this is, I don't have to understand the reasons to onboard and show respect in this way. 
I don't have to understand why the, the word has evolved and you found a new term that has not taken on a lot of context of tension and pain and, and offense. But if, if you're telling me that the old term has taken on hurt and offense and stuff like that, and now we're doing this one, and even if it seems similar to an older one to me, and I just don't get that, the, the thing I need to understand is I don't have to understand it in order to show you the respect to do it. That's Amen. all, all excellent stuff. And Jed, love you to close out here because I think one of the, one of the main ways someone might, uh, rightly or wrongly, doesn't matter. People who might be defensive about such a, a thing, even granting all the good stuff that Glenn and Leah said, would be, well, if my heart is in the right place, and I'm, I'm not hateful. I'm being nice. I'm being respectful. Other than this, why should the words I use take on so much significance? Mm-hmm. And if I say, you know, if I say a uh, colored person and, and, but I'm really nice to, you know, my friend at work who is a person of color, shouldn't they cut me a lot of slack? And I think there's, there's a real hole in that thinking we probably need to get to the bottom of to really get this right. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing, of course, is, um, I don't think anyone really is expecting you to get everything right all the time because nobody does that, but people are expecting you to make a good faith effort. And so the first time that you use the wrong term with your buddy at work and they say, Hey man, not for nothing, but X, Y, Z is actually the preferred term. Well, in in a sense, you know, that, that one's free, but if you do it again, you're yeah. no longer coming from a place of ignorance. So now right. now it's starting – A, it's a, a pattern. B, it's starting to look deliberate. Let me tell you a story about me being a 19-year-old jackass that I think will illustrate some of the dynamics <laughs> no. that we're dealing with here. So, is this a new segment on the show, by the way, Jed, or is this a, a one-off? It's a recurring segment in my life, <laughs> but I think it can definitely become a, a recurring segment on the show as well. So I'm in college, and I've got my buddy Brian, and – Brian starts dating a lovely young lady, and uh, her name is spelled S-O-N-Y-A. And um, I just have always said that, Sonia. And um, so I'm hanging out with Brian and Sonia, and, and, and one day Sonia turns to me and she says, Hey, Jed, it's, it's not a particularly big deal, but I actually say my name Sonia, um, if, if, you, if you wouldn't mind. Now, here... Let, we'll actually do some nice role-playing, a bit of revisionist history for a moment. W- what a sane person would say in that moment is, Sonia, of course, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize from now on it's Sonia and, and nothing but Sonia, and I appreciate you letting me know. That would have been the sane response. Particularly because <laughs> Exactly. My, my buddy was doing – I mean like – he was way above his pay grade in terms of Sonia, you know, being with him. So it needed to be a team effort to support him in that. I really needed <laughs> Takes to – Takes a village, you know, Jed. This is what I'm saying. Wingman this thing. Exactly. All right. I was a terrible wingman. I did not do that at all. Instead, I don't even remember what stupid thing I said. So, well, besides it, I, I say what I want. <laughs> and I think it is. And I've known people before. This is Sonya. It is fine. I don't even know. And, and, and bless this young lady's heart, who I'm, I'm sure is going to be um, in, in office someday because this was so smooth. She just looks at me for a second and says, okay, Jeed. <laughs> wow. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's fun of course, but 
I think that there's a good takeaway there where, dude, you wouldn't want someone doing this back to you. That's, That's right. right. You, you wouldn't want someone to call you a term that you don't like or use the wrong name or use the wrong pronouns. So don't do that to someone else. Again, the first time you call somebody Sonia when their name is Sonia, well, it's free because you didn't know. And they can say, hey, no big deal, but it, I'd, I'd like to be called by the name I actually am. But after that, you do um, – unless you're just intent on making enemies, which um, that's really not what Christianity is about, you, you do have a response. <laughs> Matt just pulled away when I said that. That was great. Um, <laughs> To be clear, Christianity is not about making enemies, so at that point you do have a a responsibility there to be respectful. That's a scriptural mandate. We're told to approach people with gentleness and respect, so that means whether it's a person's name or the pronouns that they prefer or the designation that they prefer, you should use that. You you literally don't have any reason to push back on that at all (laughs) in any way, shape, or form. And I would offer two more thoughts, just just things for you to to keep in mind. One is, I think it it certainly makes sense to feel sometimes like, well, I I have a hard time keeping up, and golly gee, and it seems hard. Here's one of the really exciting things about being alive, alive in the early part of the 21st century. We're figuring out new ways to respect the dignity of fellow human beings. Mm. Yeah. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mankind has done a terrible job for thousands of years figuring out how to safeguard one another's dignity. And we're actually making a lot of progress on that. And it's a good thing, and it's a beautiful thing. And language is a big part of that. It's a big part of how we see and respect and safeguard the dignity of other human beings. I want to encourage you to view that as a get-to rather than a have-to. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Christians should absolutely be at the forefront of that. They should absolutely be at the forefront of that. The second thing I want to encourage you on is um, I think part of what frustrates people is they want to be smooth, and you can't be smooth at things you're new at. If you are using new terminology, you won't be smooth when you use it. Let go of being smooth. No one needs you to be smooth. That's actually not a good thing to be searching for. Just, Just be a human being. But something that you can be smooth at is the stuff that comes after. Like if someone comes to your church to visit, you need to figure out the right words to use and use those words and you won't be smooth with that. But on the other side of that, then you can be smooth and you say, we are so glad you are here at our church. It is wonderful to have you. If you need anything at all, please let me know. We're just thrilled that you're here today and we hope that you'll come back and join us again. That's hospitality. You can be smooth at that. You know how to do that. You can be good at that. Embrace the thing that's new and do it right without worrying about being smooth about it. And then do the thing that is also a scriptural mandate that you know how to do and is good and that everybody in the world appreciates. And here's our solemn say that money back guarantee. If you use the words that people want you to use and then you show them legit good hospitality, they will want to hear more about your God. I promise. That's right. And if that fails, just two more kids, I guess, would be the math on that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, just keep having babies. A whole lot of excellent stuff from these guys. I will just add a a couple quick notes on here. And one is to follow up exactly what Jed's saying. Um, the the words are important. A for what we we've all discussed here that people have a right to uh, decide how they want to be described. And if you're someone who's trying to show respect, you should respect that. But the other thing is one of the things that we are, as Jed's pointing out, really is becoming very well understood at this moment in time is that 
words lead thoughts. The way yeah. you speak about someone is just going to be inherently bound up in how you think about them. And there's that leaking out of that. So this idea that Lee kind of mentioned with what they would might call a person first language is the idea of not boiling somebody down to something. You're not literally starting a description of them with the hue of their skin. You are saying person of color. And, but the other thing about this that gives our, our white male brethren, uh, which they definitely see as a curse. And I, I do at times as well, but if we can get our head around it, we can see it as a blessing of people who have the be it male privilege or white privilege or for some of us both is the opportunity to humble your dang self right. and yeah. be told how something goes down. Yep. Because I was, I was looking something up on this earlier. And one of the examples someone gave was it would be rude to describe someone as a diabetic because that is, that is boiling them down to right. a medical condition. It would be, they, for most of the people in that community, they prefer to be described as a person with diabetes. We can all see how that tracks. Person first language, great example. The next paragraph said, uh, specifically, a lot of people in the aut autism advocacy community do not want to be described as a person with autism. They want to be described as an autistic person because this is a counter to that because they don't consider autism a disabling condition, a mm. part of their personality. Right. I had a little bit of a hard time getting a hold of that, but right. as we've pointed out here, I don't have to, it doesn't have to make perfect sense to me. That's I don't right. have to sign off on it as it being right. I just have to accept that. And again, as we pointed out here, a really, really good um, kind of test for if this is one of those things is just think about if you were asking a white guy his name. You would not interrogate that. If you were so for some reason saw my name on a list and it said Matthew, and I said, I go by Matt, actually, which I've done a million times, everyone in the world just goes, okay. Yeah. No one has All ever right. said, well, what's on your birth certificate? <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. Is that the name your parents gave you? Are you no one would ask me that. Right. Why would it be okay to ask a trans person that? Why would it be okay to ask right. someone else that? One of the beautiful things about this idea of politeness is it just simplifies it if you're willing to be humble. If you say to someone, oh, are you X, Y, Z? And they say, oh, actually, I go by this name. You can just call them that name. It doesn't, you don't have to think about it any more than that. And you can move on to other stuff. And Lee, one more thing on this. Yeah, I was just, I just thought of this as you were describing, as you were laying that out, Matt. And there's a, an interesting thing in the Gospels where um, whenever you see Jesus encounter, the, his first encounter with Levi or Matthew, uh, we get two names for this dude, um, that the gospel writers will say, Jesus saw a tax collector, and he told him, follow me, and he did. But if you read that story in the Gospel of Matthew, which Matthew is writing that about himself, he says, Jesus saw a man. And mm. that is super interesting. Yeah, You know, that yeah. when Levi's telling his own story, he's like, I didn't lead out with tax collector. Jesus saw me as a person. I was more than a tax collector. I was a person that Jesus had compassion on and he cared about. And I just think that's really interesting. That's a really, really worthy addition. I think that's really, really cool. Note to end that on. We will move on to our next question, which comes in anonymously and says, I feel like I'm not doing enough right now. I'm thankful to be stable, safe, and in my right mind, but it makes me feel restless, like I want to do more. How does God want me to handle these feelings when I'm doing my best to serve people? 
and really, really cool question at all times, but I think specifically in a time of, of social distancing, of a certain amount of lockdown. And Lee, what do we do with this idea of just the feeling of wanting to do more? Because I think what we're going to discuss is it can take us in some good directions and some bad directions. So where do we start yeah. with it? Yeah, that's, that is, that's so well set up. Matt, and I appreciate this person's question. I'm glad you wrote it in because I think it's a I think it's a really common feeling, not only right now, but at all times for a lot of different uh, folks who are trying to walk with Jesus, but definitely during this time where all the rules have changed, and you know you can't get together and lead a Bible study in a big crowded room with a bunch of people um, or anything like that. And so it, it's hard to know right now with ministry stuff what counts, um, and it's hard to know what I'm supposed to be doing. That's a really interesting question, and I would I would just and these guys are going to lay out a lot of really cool stuff. But I would say a couple of things. One is I would say make sure that you understand that God does not want you to should on yourself. That God's yeah. heart towards you is not for you to be living in a constant state of I should do this and I should do that. If I don't do that, then I'm not pulling my weight or I'm not doing enough or God's disappointed me in me or anything like that. Um, his heart for you is for you to follow him in such a way that the that the burden feels light. Um, he said, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he doesn't want you to feel uh, burdened by some, you know, some humongous obligation that makes you feel guilty or ashamed. Um, so if, if that compulsion to do more is coming from a, a comparison to what somebody else is doing, we need to jettison that first. Uh, we are, we're not having to compare ourselves to anybody else's ministry, anybody else's work, anybody else's capacity, anybody else's personality. Um, so God does not want you to shut on yourself. The, the other thing real quick that I would say on this is that Scripture actually gives us a lot of really comforting things about ministry work. Uh, and a couple of those things that I would, that I would lay out um, towards you on this, just having asked this question the way you did, is number one, little stuff counts really big to Jesus. Like yeah. he loves little stuff. There's actually a place where he says, if you give somebody a cup of cold water because you belong to the Messiah, you will not fail to receive your reward. That's in Mark chapter 9. Um, there's another place where he sees a woman who gave two little pennies, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Um, little stuff counts huge to Jesus. Um, just just doing anything to meet someone's needs or to bring someone encouragement, he loves that stuff. He does backflips over that stuff. He goes crazy over little stuff. The other thing that the Scripture tells us about serving Jesus is that when you do something with love, it counts more than huge stuff that's done without love. Um, people in Christian stuff love to tell you how huge and amazing their stuff is. They love to brag about the numbers, the size, the the amount of uh, watts and ohms. I don't know if that's a thing. Jed can correct me on that. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but yeah, just that's the, a Christian well, metric of praying. It's, you know, <laughs> that was an eight hundred ohm prayer. But yeah, they, they they love to talk about how big stuff is. But what the Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians chapter thirteen is, if I surrender my body to the flames but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I do everything in the world but don't have love, then I'm just a, a clanging symbol. Um, and so the way that we do things really matters. The, the love that we have in our heart, little stuff counts and the way we do it counts. And it makes it, makes it count more than big stuff without love. Um, and Jesus doesn't want you to shit on yourself. That's where I'd start on this. I think that's a, an excellent, excellent point. Um, Jed, I'd love you to pick, pick us up right there because um, I think this is one of the situations where the most obvious kind of scratch the itch answer is actually going to do us more harm than good because when we feel restless, the idea may be just to pack out that schedule. And I don't think that's a long-term yeah. answer. No, it's not. It's And it's not because you cannot sustain it. You know, I mean, um, more, more, more is almost never the answer to restlessness, but it's also an unsustainable approach to life. So that that's not great. I, I think that restlessness is one of those words where we all kind of know what that feels like, even though it can be a little bit hard to precisely define it. But I, I think that there are are four things that could be going on for a person who says that they're restless. And, and we'll, we'll list them off real quick, but then I actually want to look just at one of them, because I think it may be the, the really important one in this case. So the first is someone who's just bored. They just don't have anything going on. Um, nothing that they're interested in, nothing that they're excited about. Um, they, they might call it restlessness, but they are just bored. They, they have nothing fun to do or nothing good to do. Uh, but I don't think that's the case for the person in this question. Uh, the second is a person who maybe they've got plenty to do, but very little of it feels meaningful. Um, very little of it feels like it's really making the world much of a better place. And that, that could be going on here, but I, I don't know. Just my, my guess is that it might be something a little bit different. The third, which I, I see a lot with, with creative type people is that there's a thing I really, really care about. And I feel energized when I'm doing that. I'm just not doing, um, you know, people where, you know, I, I feel most alive when I'm, uh, sculpting, but I just, I haven't made time to sculpt in the last six months, and, and I just, you know, I, I feel kind of weird off of that. And again, that's that's actually pretty common with with a lot of, of artsy types, but I'm I'm not sure that that's exactly what's going on here. So then the fourth category, which is one I, I really want us to look at, is I think that we can feel restless, oddly, when we're trying to do too much already. I think that we can feel restless yeah. when the schedule is already too full. And there are already too many commitments, and there's already too much going on. Um, I think oftentimes the the answer to restlessness, in a sense, is rest. Mm. And I think that for a certain number of us, I think that we are wildly uncomfortable with being still. I think that we are, for a lot of us, bordering on being afraid of the silence and afraid of solitude. And I have a guess that that may be part of what's going on with our question asker here. And if that's where you're at, the first thing is absolutely no judgment. You come by that, honestly, uh, there's a lot more people who are on that than you would think. But the second thing is, if that's where you're at, a sense of just, I'm really uncomfortable with being still, and I'm, I'm almost afraid of just things being quiet and me being by myself. The thing I really want to encourage you to, to begin to look at and, and to move towards facing with some real boldness is why? Why are you uncomfortable being still? Why are you afraid of being by yourself and of there being silence and solitude in your life? And I'm, I'm about to tell you a Bible fact, and I 
don't want it to sound preachy at all because the point is not that you're doing something wrong. I just want to hold up a counterexample for contrast, which is Jesus, the Bible recalls um, that Jesus frequently withdrew to lonely places to be by himself in solitude and pray. Jesus, who literally had every answer to every problem that every person on earth was facing, who could do limitless good, recognized how important it was for him to be by himself in stillness and solitude and connecting with God. Again, I don't bring that up at all to be preachy or to tell you that you're doing something wrong, but say, as, as a counterexample, the idea that I have to be doing the most good I can all the time, that doesn't quite hold up. Yeah. And I think that that brings us back to the idea of, are you uncomfortable with the silence? Are you afraid of being by yourself where it's just you and God? And if that's where you're at, if that's where you're at, the thing I want to encourage you to do is to lean into that stillness and that silence. Um, things get less scary when we do more of them. Um, they, mm-hmm. they get less uncomfortable when we do more of them. And I want to encourage you to start asking God why you're uncomfortable with it. Um, to start asking God to show you what, what makes you uncomfortable about that. There, there's a lot of different things that could be driving that. Um, but I want to encourage you to start in your prayer time and asking the Lord to give you wisdom about that and give you a sense of that. Because the truth is, stillness and solitude are get-tos. They are gifts. They are sources of strength. And I have no doubt you come by honestly being in a place where they feel really uncomfortable to you. But I want to encourage you to shift that around to get to a place where you can find them to be gifts and find them to be sources of strength. And this is a great season to begin that journey. It's a really great point. All of that is fantastic. Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think that we can also have this feeling of restlessness, as these guys are alluding to, when we're doing stuff. Right. So that may also lead to us wanting to ask some questions about what feeling maybe we thought we were going to get that we're not getting or what's missing from the stuff we are doing, not just the silent time, right? That's right. I mean, if you feel yourself really, you know, on that edge of being overloaded and the thought in your mind is, I need to do more, 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 we need to ask, where's that thought coming from? Yeah. The assumption is if someone's is telling me in my mind that I need to do more good things, that has to be God. Except for that's not how that works. <laughs> uh, the devil knows that if he can overload you and burn you out, that will take you out just as fast, sometimes faster than convincing you to not care about people and not be compassionate and loving and serving others and all of that. Uh, those of us who do this work on a full-time basis know that the the devil waits until we're completely exhausted and says, man, you should be doing a lot more than you are right now. Jeez. And it, you, you'd think it wouldn't stick given that you just beat yourself to death all week, you know, but for whatever reason that, you know, it there is just that sense of, yeah, there is so much that can be done. So I think, uh, first of all, to recognize the devil will tell you to do more. And uh, he does that, again, in a strategic and sort of selective way. So we can't assume that that's coming from the Lord. Uh, We need to know uh, from God, what is it that you want me to be doing today? That might be resting, that might be playing, that might be uh, serving and helping others. Uh, We need to, to have that direction from him. But I think here's the thing, is when you're engaged and you're making a difference, you're having an impact, you you 
really should be thinking in terms of more effective as opposed to just doing more, period. That's a big difference. So, for example, uh, uh, Lee and, and, and Matt both participated in uh, peaceful protests uh, that were going on uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, this is great stuff, and we're we're very proud of them for doing that, and this is wonderful. And and I know they felt like they were, you know, doing good stuff with that. But I would be willing to guess they weren't saying, "Well, gee whiz, we should do this every day," because that would just that'd be weird, you know. It's like, no. The next thought is, where does this evolve? What sh- right. what should come out of this? What what should be the outgrowth of this? And and that can go in a million different directions. And they'd all be cool and interesting and good. So you begin, your mind starts thinking creatively. You begin exploring all the possibilities and the ways that we can take this thing that's set in motion and take it to a really cool place. Uh, You know, when we started doing, uh, you know, we were forced really to do our bridge service online uh, and and put that on Facebook and, and, and do it as a live event. Well, the numbers on that were way bigger than we anticipated, and it really opened our eyes. But we, the next thought was not, well, we should do something seven days a week, on, on, you know, to put video on there seven days a week. It was, there's a potential here that we are tapping into that we didn't know existed. So how do we do what we're doing better and tap into that potential in a much more effective sort of way? Uh, and and do a better job with it. So just more, more, more it doesn't really make sense, and it's it's not really what God is pushing us towards in those situations. It's how can we go deeper and wider and more effective. Final point, this, you know, this is the main thing I hear from people when I say, you know, hey, look, you, you know, you really helped us out. Uh, you know, I was talking to one of our volunteers recently, uh, that drives van the van to our service, and I said, "Van, it, you you you're a huge help to us. I I can't thank you enough for driving the van." He's like, "Oh, I I didn't really do anything. You know, I'm just driving. I love hanging out with these guys. I I didn't do anything." And so, wait, wait a second. Uh, we're not measuring this by how much bother it was for you. We're measuring it by the impact of people riding in the van. It was huge. <laughs> I don't know what makes you think that you're being humble by saying it's smart. That's just not even uh, – uh, you're humble by saying it wasn't a big thing. I, I don't think you're being smart about it. This is this is a huge deal. If you don't take them to the service, we don't have any service. That's crucial. That's vital. That's way more important than what I'm doing over here, just talking my little nonsense on the microphone. So – <laughs> you know, we measure it by the impact, not by how painful it was necessarily for you to give that up or by how big you think it is for you. It's how big it is for the other person. And as as Lee was pointing out, sometimes you can do something that for you is a small moment and a small gesture that can have a unbelievable impact for someone down the line. And we really want to encourage you to think in terms of that impact and being more effective as opposed to just doing more. That's all fantastic stuff and really, really great points. The one small thing I would add at the end of this is um, if you have a hard time making that switch off, making um, feeling like you have the vision of the impact you're having the way Glenn's talking, and it helps transition to a rest period in a way that, that Jed's talking um, 
you do have to build into your service time some afterglow time, yeah. uh, either individually in prayer with the Lord, with uh, other people you serve with, preferably all of the above. Because we are often, almost always, the worst judge of how much impact we're having, how much say that. effort we're putting into something, how well something is going. You have to have, again, ideally it's on, a, it's on a team thing, but even if you just do it yourself, it's good to do with the Lord. It's good to really sit back and try to take too much credit. You know, yeah. if you're so overwhelmed the other way, try to just blow this thing so far out of proportion to how big a an impact you had and the good things that could happen. That's going to do a couple of things we're saying here. That's really going to help your mindset. And it's also going to, I think, um, lessen that thought of restlessness because that does kind of become a meditative thing. If we did whatever it was, I, I helped this person move or I said an encouraging thing or whatever. And now I'm thinking about that. I'm taking that to the Lord. I'm looking at the impact that's having. I'm feeling good about that. And now I can move on to resting. That, that mm. part is we have a pause on it. We have a, a kind of that level, if you want to think of a video game, is, is complete. And maybe there's another thing. But we're set there and we can move on to this next thing and get that rest we need in between. Part of this restlessness I think we're describing here is this idea of nothing ever being finished. Mm. Um, and you really do have to take things one day at a time and one step at a time. Of we did, I did all I can do today. That was all I got. All that, or time ran out. It's just, it's what it is. And let's find a reason for that to be good enough for ourselves, because it is good enough for the Lord, as we're pointing out here. All right, let's move on to our final question here, which came in anonymously and says, "How do I work on growing while social distancing? It feels like so much is missing from life right now. How can I keep?" changing and moving forward and really an excellent question and jed where would we kick off it's a great question we we really appreciate you writing in you know one of the things about chicago that is not in any way original idea to me that's certainly been said by other people is that it is two different cities in summer and winter and it's just two completely different experiences. And it's totally true. Right, right now, it's, it's hot, but it's, it's beautiful here. It's amazing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fun place. And in the winter, obviously, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly cold. Uh, but something that other people have told me and it took me a very long time to come to peace with is it's actually just as cool of a city in the winter as well. It's just a different thing. Mm. The the list of stuff that you can do and the list of stuff that you can't do is just very, very different. The question is which of those categories is dominant in your mind? Because every place you go, every season in your life, there's always going to be a list of stuff that you can do and a list of stuff that you can't do. Um, th- there, are, there are no locales and no seasons and no times where one of those lists is empty and the other is completely full. That's just not how life works. And so if you're looking for areas where you can grow, if you're looking for areas where you can, you can keep evolving, there are always areas. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true that if you are trying to grow in terms of paying attention to professional sports, this is a hard season to do that in. But there are a million other things that you can be growing in right now that you can be progressing in. The, the fact that you've sent this question to us electronically means that you have internet access. That alone means you have access to... Basically limitless media, 
and texts and instructional material and learning resources. You you can grow in in all kinds of things. So there, there's really two thoughts that I would want to give you just as a starting point. Again, the first one is every season has limitations and every season has possibilities. Uh, there, there just aren't any exceptions to that. One of the interesting things about having worked in prison ministry for quite a while now is I've definitely known guys who, in a sense, look back fondly on long prison terms because they had an opportunity to learn and do things that they would never have done otherwise. Um, that's not yeah. to say that they were grateful to be in prison because I don't know that anybody's grateful to be in prison. And it's not to say that they thought overall it was great because that's that's not really it either. But they saw the positive possibilities of where they were and they and they made something out of that. So again, that's that's thing one is to, is to recognize in every season, in every location, um, there's always possibilities to grow and to evolve. The second thing that I would encourage you to look at is that given that there are so many possibilities, I think it's actually a really good idea to be in prayer about what the Lord's priorities for you might be. Because it turns out not only are there possibilities in every season, there's actually more possibilities in every season than there are hours in the day. Uh, for for all of the limits that are present in this quarantine season with the social distancing and whatnot, there's far more stuff you could be doing than there's time to do. Um, so there has to be a metric to decide. And one of the, the really cool things about being a Christian is that we believe God actually has a plan for our individual lives, and, and God actually has a design for us uniquely and, and individually. And so I think it's a perfect time to begin developing a, if you don't already have one, a bit of a conversational prayer life where you're asking the Lord about how to spend your time and how to spend your focus. Where where are the areas where we we want to grow and evolve? I think that as you can develop your ability to, to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in prayer, I think some of what you get from the Lord will probably come as no surprise. It'll be like, yep, that makes total sense. That, that's about what I was thinking. And there are probably some things that will be a huge surprise to you. <laughs> and then you start talking it through and thinking it through, and you're like, well, no, that actually, that really does make sense. I wouldn't have thought of it. Man, I can, I can really see why that would be a good idea. So it turns out there's a great adventure before you today right now today, even in this season of limitations. But it boils down to recognizing Amen. that there are possibilities that are open right now, and then inviting the Lord to be on that journey and that adventure with you and give you a sense of how you might move forward. That is really, really great stuff. Leah, I'd love you to pick us up there, because I think one of the things this very unique time is is giving us is an opportunity to uh, kind of tinker with and think about what we got out of things. You know, when you went to uh, a church service in a small group, and you you would say that I people would say quite rightly that you know I this community is doing me good in these ways, and now we kind of have to think about what are the things that was helping from that community experience because I can do a less than perfect version of that now. So what are those kind of things? Because we we definitely. Uh, believe we said on the show, you're not meant to do Jesus in isolation. You're meant to have a community. You're meant to have uh, service and have the people's input. But given this time where we have to think about how to prioritize and what to get from that, how do we approach that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, there's a really interesting thing in, in Christian circles that, you know, it's one of those, it's one of these Christian assumptions that doesn't get investigated a lot. Um, there's There's a lot of those. 
But one of them is that if you just have a lot of people there, then it was probably awesome. Like if we got a stadium, Glenn, and we rented that mm. out, yeah, and we filled the stadium with people and fireworks and loudspeakers and lots of rock bands and stuff like that, then yeah. probably the Holy Spirit has like a supercharged reason to really show up and get some work done. Yeah, that's like makes it extra good automatically because more people. Right. And so when we, when the Christian world thinks that way, and then we have a situation like we're in now, then the mindset is, well, how, how am I supposed to grow now? I can't go to a stadium. Um, it would like, it would be really dumb to go to a big stadium and congregate with a lot of people right now. And so, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, so how am I supposed to possibly grow? Another weird Christian supposition is that the awesome people, like the people that are mega awesome in Jesus, they just always are. Like, they just start that way. I remember Glenn telling me a story one time of he was bringing up a dude and in his ministry, and he had given the guy some pointers, and he let him preach, and, he, you know, the kid did okay, and then Glenn went up and preached after him, and... <laughs> And did a thing which Glenn enjoys doing, which is preaching after you and really walloping <laughs> you. And uh, <clears throat> and the kid was frustrated at the end of the night, and Glenn could tell he was kind of pouting. And he said, what are you pouting about? And he said, well, I just want to be as good as you. And Glenn was like, <laughs> what? You just started. That's right. super offensive. But yeah. that's a Christian mindset, that if you're awesome, yeah. you're always just going to be awesome. You're going to start awesome. And that's that's right, how we right. know who should be in leadership is they're just they were always awesome. So let's counter that with a couple of things. Proximity, physical proximity, is not something that's necessary for growth. Uh, always being awesome is not a thing in Christianity. What we need is humility and vulnerability. If you are humble, and if you are willing to be honest about what your struggles are. And some of this goes back to exactly what Jed's talking about with the conversational prayer with the Lord. If you can be honest and vulnerable, you're going to grow. I mean, I I can pretty much guarantee it. You're going to grow. If you can be humble and vulnerable, um, you can grow on a phone call. You can grow on a text message conversation. You can grow on a, a... a, uh, uh, you know, some, like a, like a chat room thread. You could grow on a Twitter thread if you were humble and vulnerable. You could grow in a Zoom call if you're hum- humble and vulnerable, on a FaceTime call. Exactly as Jed says, you have access to modes of connection that people did not have even 20 years ago in unbelievable ways. The physical proximity at Christian gatherings is not what makes people grow. What makes people grow is humility and vulnerability. That's where we start to see growth. We're not supposed to start out awesome. We're not supposed to be awesome tomorrow. We are on a journey of getting better, but we can't get better until we can admit that we've got some struggles, until we can be honest about those things. I'll tell you this, for um, my wife, and I love this about her, she does not have time for anybody that doesn't have vulnerability. If you got if you've got walls of awesomeness up about yourself, she's like, mm. "That's great. You may be great. I'm not listening to you. I don't have time for that." If anybody will show a chink in their arm in their personal armor, 
any kind of personal struggle, then she's like, okay, I'm tuning my radio now. I'll, I'll tune you in. The more vulnerability a person shows, the more my wife will hang out with you, period. The more awesome you are on social media and put together, the less she's paying attention. And humility and vulnerability, it attracts people, it draws people in, and that's how we grow. That's all Amen. excellent, excellent stuff. That's all very cool. And Glenn, where do we cap this off? <laughs> well, I think it's important to look at what you know you're we're working on how can i grow uh, while i'm in social distancing it's important to know what areas need growth and i'm wondering if for you learning to slow down is the main thing that you need growth in uh most christians i know especially uh you know american uh christians uh, particularly, you know, sort of suburban-based uh, uh, American Christians, have their lives scheduled to death. I mean, the amount of compactness of every waking moment that is spoken for is crazy. Um, I work uh, a lot with pastors, and if you can get a pastor to say out loud— <laughs> Where other people can hear it, no, nah, I got plenty of time. I'll give you a million dollars. I mean, if they had plenty of time, they would never admit it. They would be ashamed for people to find out, ah, I got, you know, take your time. I, I got all day. They're, this is just not, I think we glorify and even mm. sanctify mm. the idea of being busy. Uh, and I think it's the opposite. I think it's just I think it's super evil to have a a life that's so full and so uh, over planned and and over regimented that the Holy Spirit can't get in there and redirect you somewhere else, and you're too tired to do anything else. And if you're like me, if God tries to get you to do something other than what's in the schedule, you try and do your thing plus his thing, and, and that's when you have some kind of a physical breakdown, because there's not enough gas in the tank for your nonsense plus what he wants to do. So I think learning to slow down is a great thing to learn and no better time for it. Um, I think it's as it, it, there's a reason why we don't slow down, of course, and that's because uh, there are things in our life we don't want to look at. So if we just keep going at 900 miles an hour, we'll never slow down long enough to see whatever that is. So it's probably fine. You know, it, it doesn't seem to come up uh, in in my life, this this thing. So that's okay because uh, I, I'm I'm, you know, I'm not slowing down long enough for it to come up. So that's that all seems to work out just fine. Uh, a, a lot of addicts have told me over the years, uh, you know, they can't stand to be alone. And if you ask them why, they'll say, you know, that's when it all hits me, all the stuff that I've done. Well, here's the thing. You, you need to do business with that. You need to do it a little at a time, of course, and you need to give yourself... Uh, a period of, let's say, several months to, of being in social isolation uh, to slowly unpack that. Uh, but I think it's really important to look at 
I, you know, there are things I, I, I need to confront and I need to slow down long enough to confront those. And I'm being given that opportunity. I think it's worth asking how awesome was your life before all this hit? Uh, because I think we all look at the limitations and, and I'm, I'm more guilty of this than anyone who's listening to this right now, but we look at the limitations and say, I could be having an awesome day if it wasn't for this. Well, yeah, but would you, if, if you could go anywhere and do anything, what, what would you really be doing? How would it really be looking like, you know, it's, it's a convenient excuse. You can blame a lot on it. Uh, but I think here's the reality. I want you to think of your life. Uh, I I think people try to look at their life as a series of accomplishments, which is a super terrible way of looking at your life. I think a lot of people try and look at their life as some kind of a story that's already been written, and then they're trying to make it be true, which is just bananas. That's not—don't—we don't, all love the story about Jim Carrey wrote a million-dollar check to himself, then he made a million dollars in the same whatever, whatever. That's not That's not it either. I think that life, we ought to look at building a life like uh, you're creating a work of art, that this is a creative thing, and that we need to think in creative ways. We need to think outside the box. We need to do things differently. And the thing that, that drives creativity is limitations. That sounds paradoxical. You think, well, no, the, the more freedom I have to create, the more creative I get. That's never true. It's when someone says you can only do it within these narrow confines that you start thinking of ways of pushing the edge of that envelope and you begin to think much more creatively. Uh, I, I, my prayer for you as you're listening to this is that your life would get cool and get exciting and get fun in amazing new creative ways and that's creative ways of getting close to the lord creative ways of uh, dealing with your internal life creative ways of, of managing your relationships with other people all of that that these limitations would drive that kind of creativity all beautifully put and fantastic stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Please do join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. We're going to take out the song we've been talking a lot about, uh, kind of making little steps and uh, taking the victories. We're going to take out the song from Lee called Well Done from a previous Bridge Docs. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we are known to help people find love connections and, you know, babies result from that, but that's not the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And when I take a step, I'm gonna say well done. And when I take one more, I'm gonna say well done. And when I get confused, ain't gonna say I'm done. No, when I take a step, I'm gonna stay well done. Cause you say well done, well done. You say well done, son. I'm gonna hear you say well done.
small one I'm gonna say well done And maybe it ain't perfect But I'm gonna say well done Well maybe it's a big old mess Ain't gonna cut and rock No, when I take a step I'm gonna say well done Cause you say well done Well done You say well done son I'm gonna hear you say well done You've been faithful with a few things So come sit down, time for celebrating Gave a cup of cold water, time for celebrating Change the way that you think, time for celebrating Faithful and good is how God describes you Say he's so happy, you should feel that vibe too Next up, y'all start doing big things But you know your God is happy Cause of how you did the little things Well done, well done You say well done, son I'm gonna hear you say well done 